Section 16 of Tales from Yokoi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Hawaii in October 2015. Tales from Yokoi by Mor Yokoi. The City of the Beast. Chapter 4. The Raft and the Green Dove. No sooner had the idol collapsed than like a whimpering child lulled to sleep the tempest suddenly abated. The howling of the wind died away, the lightning flashed no longer, the black masses of cloud dispersed in all directions. The agitated waves, after rocking the ship to and fro for a time, grew smoother and smoother, till at last a perfect calm reigned upon the waters. "'A miracle! A miracle!' cried the astonished crew, but as in the still night watches they raised their eyes to the cloudless sky, a fresh astonishment fell upon them. This starry heaven was not the heaven they were accustomed to. Those were other constellations. The seven stars of the great bear were no longer to be seen, the bright and constant polar star was no longer in its place, the mariner's guide, that double eye of heaven, and all the other constellations of the northern firmament which the sailor regards in so poetic a light, whose going and coming he knows so well, and whose position tells him in what part of the world he is, all these had vanished from the sky, and in their place were other stars, still more brilliant than they, which no man was able to call to mind. One of these stars shone with so intense a radiance that it cast shadows on the deck. Amazed and anxious, the bewildered crew looked up into the unknown heaven which thus disturbed all their calculations, and turning to Bar Noemi, inquired timidly, "'Sir, where are we?' Bar Noemi himself, not without secret horror, examined these stars of another world, and answered with a sigh, "'We are in God's hand.' "'We are beyond the limits of the world!' cried a despairing voice. We are gliding into nothingness. Another maintained that they were approaching the land of the great Rokrok, the home of serpents and amphibians, where beasts hunt men as men hunt beasts elsewhere. A third told of the magnet mountain of the Indians, which drew ships to destruction from afar, and all were terrified at finding themselves in a position so queer that not even a single legend had anticipated it. For a while the crew whispered among themselves, then the boldest of them stepped defiantly up to Bar Noemi and said, Listen to our words, Bar Noemi. All thy continuous praying to Jehovah has only brought trouble upon thyself and those who are with thee. Thou makest us to be tossed of tempests and suffer grievous perils. Thou hast shattered the god Thamus. Thou dost naught but praise and glorify Jehovah, and now we are in the midst of a strange sea. How we got hither we know not, nor how we shall escape from thence, and what is the cause of all this but thou and the ark of thy covenant and the name of Jehovah that thou prayest to? So long as Themis was with us, the storm howled, but since thou didst break him to pieces, a calm more terrible than a storm has come upon us. Till then we at least moved along, 
but now we are fast bound to one spot as if with double anchors. The crew, therefore, will now abandon thee and the Ark of the Covenant to the ocean. Depart from us whithersoever thou camest. We are not angry with thee, but we fear thee. We make thee a raft of planks, and we will give it a rudder and steering gear. We will share our sail with thee, and give thee bread and water for six days. Be content, therefore, and in Jehovah's name depart, and we too will go whithersoever the good or evil humour of our devils may lead us. Banuemi answered nothing. This people was hurrying to its doom. For the third time it denied its faith. The sea will surely swallow them up as the earth did Dathan and Abiram. When the sins of Sodom exhausted the patience of the Lord, he withdrew the one righteous man from the abandoned city. Even now the angels of the Lord are many. When Bisenia, who had hitherto shared all the sufferings of the crew without a murmur, saw how they were making ready a raft for Banuemi, she embraced her sorrowing husband and said, in an encouraging whisper, Be at ease, Banuemi. Here is not the limit of the world. The man of Carthage possesses a secret which may not be named there, and yet is handed down from father to son, and thus never forgotten. Tossed by storms, the courageous Hanno wandered once upon a time into these regions. His whole course is recorded on huge stone tables which are jealously preserved in the temple of the god of death. For whoever betrays this secret is a dead man. I learnt it from my father, who is one of the guardians of this temple, and sits in the great council of merchants. In the quarter where that dazzling star goes to rest, there is a new continent, much larger and more beautiful than ours. We shall find it if we follow the course of the star. Two mighty geniuses are with us and will help us. Jehovah is with thee, and love with me. Banuemi kissed and embraced her, whom God had sent as his angel to save him in his extremity, and with that he himself helped his crew to make ready the frail bark on which, with God's covenant of peace and the love of his wife, he was to be committed to the ocean. The raft was now ready. A single upright plank formed its mast, a piece of brocaded cloth, once the mantle of the bride, was fastened thereto by way of sail. A leather skin of water, a basket of coarse wheat cakes, which the Carthaginians used for bread, and these much damaged by sea-water, were all the victuals which Banuemi received from his crew, and of all his countless treasures he took with them but three, the Ark of the Covenant of his God, his beloved, the faithful Bisenia, and his good and trusty sword. As Banuemi went on board the raft, the crew shouted after him, Jehovah be with thee. He gazed back sadly upon the forsaken ship, from which the one righteous man had thus been driven, and as he withdrew further and further from it, and as the wilderness of water between them became greater and greater, and he still stood and gazed sorrowfully back upon his ship, lo, she suddenly began to settle down sideways then, slowly turning round and round for some minutes, finally sank before his eyes. 
the breeze carried the last screams of the dying sailors to bar noemi's ears thus he found himself quite alone in the midst of the unknown waters but he did not remain alone long the flapping of wings resounded on high and from the midst of the serene blue sky descended that same wondrous dove which had visited his ship on africa's coasts and now lighted fearlessly on the top of his little mast she too had fled from the storm her gold glittering plumage was all rumpled and soiled and she smoothed and composed it with her scarlet bill then fluttering on to bar noemi's arm as if he were an old acquaintance she flew down from thence upon Bisenia's snowy shoulder with a loud cooing, and when they offered her of the wheaten cakes, she pecked at it but did not eat, and then flew away again with the gentle coo of the wild dove. "'I'll follow thee, thou heavenly messenger,' cried Bar Noemi, trustfully, and unfurling his little sail to the wind, he steered the raft in the direction taken by the dove. The heavenly guide never disappeared from view. When the raft was becalmed, she flew down upon it and rested. At night she always roosted on the summit of the mast, and in the early morning departed again, flying constantly in one and the same direction. Three days and three nights the dove and the mariner travelled together. On the morning of the fourth day the dove flew joyously on to Bisenia's knee, ate heartily of the wheaten cakes and thereupon flew so rapidly away that the eye could scarcely follow her at last she quite disappeared from the horizon in the fourth night the ship sailed along alone and the beloved the loving wife laid her head on her husband's bosom as if she were resting on her bridal bed at home so calmly did she sleep amidst the waste of waters but Banoemi could not sleep there is a feeling in the sailor's breast, the vibration of some hidden chord, one of those myriad secret forebodings which the learned may perhaps deny, but can never explain, which expresses itself in a feverish unrest whenever he is approaching the green headland of his dreams, which he cannot yet see, and yet could point out with his finger and say, There it is, when all around him is naught but commingling sea and sky there it is there it must be the morning twilight suffuses heaven and ocean with gold and purple and lo where the gilded sky touches the water a lofty rock stands out against the horizon its bepurpled summits shimmering through the azure morning mists the lord he is god alone exclaims bar noemi and raised thankful hands to heaven while Bisenia sank down before the Ark of the Covenant, and covered its silver-studded corners and angles with her kisses. A new world? No, it is an old world already hastening to the end of its history, just as the history of the known world has begun to take notice of it. Ye who have fixed the duration of the ages, how know ye how many previous millenniums with a whole world of men, beasts, and plants have already vanished hopelessly from your ken? Those skeletons which are found in the beds of rivers, at the bottom of deep clefts, those remains of unknown animals never seen by European eyes, those relics of a primeval vegetation which amaze us in the coal layers and the chalk strata, 
speak of an older, perhaps of a better, in any case of a mightier world than ours. And do not those gigantic ruined palaces, with their wondrous architecture which adventurous travellers have discovered in the land of the Incas, do not they point to a vanished people, the masters of power and glory, who, once upon a time, filled half a world with their struggles and their joys, ruled the land and waxed great, seeming to the inhabitants of that transoceanic continent a race of very demigods, till their sins made them ripe for death, and the luxuriant vegetation of a savage nature disputed the possession of the soil with the children of men? The calculations of the wise Plato about the fortunate islands may indeed have only been a poetic dream, perhaps the mere striving of an inspired philosophical soul to realize its own ideals, but so much is certain, the relics which have survived the ravages of centuries, relics which no sea can wear down, which no forest can overgrow, no tempest can wash away, testify to the fact that in the far distant ages before us, beings have existed who aimed at perfection, and only perished when their pride reached its summit, and they fancied in their insane presumption that there was no longer any god above them. End of section 16